Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14. A little something I have to say on a precursory note is um, remember how when we started Leviticus, how I mentioned how this is um, uh, more pulpit leaning? Uh, and then we get to Deuteronomy, or it's more um, uh, pew leaning, meaning like you know you have uh, elements of Leviticus that are uh, for church leadership, not in, not in performance of the law, but in understanding um, how God desires His flock to be clean. Um, and you know this is a hardcore message for pastors. Not in application of the law, not doing the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But don't forget that the Lord desires his flock to be clean. Okay? If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a ministry leader, if you're a Bible teacher, God wants his people clean. Straight up. You include it. You know, it's very important to understand these things because when we understand these things, we're going to progress further in the Old Testament and then you're going to understand why the Lord does what he does, why he responds the way he responds, why the Shekinah glory leaves the temple. You're going to understand all these things when you have this understanding of the law. And as New Covenant believers... You know, the walk of a Christian, you're going to see the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs in your life, in other people's lives. You know, the, the goal is to have as few downs as possible. Like, for example, if you look at uh, the stock market, you know, if, if, if you're horrible at stocks, then say you're a good stock trader, a good stock investor. And you just see, you look at the charts, you examine things and everything's just up, 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 up. And it's not just one straight, you know, like a slope that goes up. If you zoom in, what do you see? You see the ups, the downs. You see ups, downs. You see ups, downs. Hopefully no crashes. You see ups, downs. And so what happens? You have the down moments, but on a general aggregate level, you see growth. And that's the life of a Christian. Growth, aggregate growth. Aggregate maturing in Christ. You're still going to have the ups and downs, but less and less. And in that less and less, you're going to grow. Like, for example, the carnal issues I had 20 years ago are nothing near the carnal issues I have right now, today. That's not to say that I can't go back to that. You know, God forbid that happened. But because we're in these earth suits, because I have to press forward and advance in Jesus Christ, Press forward, reaching for, you know, like Paul says, I haven't attained already, but I press forward. Every single Christian has to press forward. That's not to say that it's impossible to fall away. It is completely, entirely possible to fall away. The Lord writes about it, that there's going to be a great falling away. But we press forward. And when we press forward, you're still going to stumble at times. You're still going to wrestle with the flesh the same way I do, but it's going to be not like it was, you know, five years ago, not like it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Lord willing, you know, you have choices to make too, the same way I have choices to make. That's why we're told, 
Don't be like a dog that returns to the vomit or a pig that likes the, the mud, roll around in the mud. Don't be that way. You know, you go from fish to lamb to sheep. And then, you know, from there, the Lord will call you into to fishermen. You know, the Lord will call you to be, a, or you, you are a fisherman, but, you know, the Lord will call you into whatever ministry. And if you say, wow, you know, the Lord hasn't called me into ministry, I say, wait, wait. Because the Lord, you know, maybe he's going to grow you in a certain environment. Just like we study on Tuesday or on, on uh, 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 Sunday. And you see the uh, uh, how Paul is going, but then his entourage is just a small group of people, but very, very special people that are used in the ministry. A very, very tight-knit group of people that are used in the ministry. You see, you know, we looked at other passages in Romans, in uh, Titus, in uh, Ephesians. And you see all these names that, you know, you see in the book of Acts, how they join to Paul, they cleave to Paul, but then at the same time, how they're used in ministry. The Lord uses them. But such is the case with ministry leaders today, and such is the case in the Old Testament. You remember, uh, 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 two of Aaron's sons were killed by the Lord. Because you know what happens when Aaron dies? Aaron's the high priest. When Aaron dies, his sons, one of his sons is going to be the high priest. And the Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows the heart. He knew the heart of Aaron's boys. And because, you know, the, the uh, 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 strange fire that was offered before the Lord. Number one, their hearts weren't right. Number two, it wasn't in accordance with what he said. You can't have a high priest like that. Scratch high priest, you can't have a priest like that. And I'm not saying, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, kill everybody. I'm not saying kill everybody. I'm saying, you know, if you're like that, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder and you're like that, you need to step down. You know, go take a little hiatus and get your heart right with the Lord. Don't forget that, you know, when we are, 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 we start our study in Leviticus and yes, there's uh, how to make the people clean, but don't forget who are the first ones, the priesthood. The priesthood. You know why? So they would be clean in order to be the cleaners. To cleanse others. But the same applies for Bible teachers, ministry leaders, pastors, elders. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. And the Lord does not like hypocrisy. And we're going to get to that hardcore in Romans. Because when you're a hypocrite... You are unable to correct. You might sit in a position where you do correct, but biblically, that's not right. Biblically, it's not right. You're in a position where you are able to correct another person, uh, uh, but what that person doesn't know to whom you are counseling is that you yourself are a hypocrite. That's not a holy model. The holy model is to you yourself not be a hypocrite. And then you're able to correct another brother. Then you're able to correct another sister because you yourself have taken the plank from your own eye. And you're able to see clearly without hypocrisy. 
And that's a huge problem in the church today. A lot of my friends used to be pastors. A lot of my friends used to be elders. And you say like, well, what happened? Well, this isn't, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to lay on a couch and tell you all my problems, you know. I don't really have any problems. I do have some problems, but, you know, the majority of my problems are other people's problems. <laughs> it's so cool how the Lord works. And when I say I have problems, a lot of my friends used to be pastors. Because they in close fellowship, they used to say, you know, hey, have you ever cussed out God? You should try cussing out God. Because, you know, you're mad and all these things. Just cuss him out. I'm like, what? You- what what in the world are you talking about? Do you not read the Bible? You know, that's a, that's not the God I read about. I fear him. Oh, you're too judgmental. You know, I tell somebody, you, you shouldn't have that. I, I t- talk to elders, pastors. You shouldn't have those sentiments. You shouldn't think that way if you think it's okay to cuss out the Lord. The one who allows your heart to beat. You shouldn't have a mindset that says it's okay to cuss him out. And you're telling me I should cuss him out? I mean, let alone cussing. No way. No way. Or crazy doctrines. Seeker-friendly, emergent church-type stuff. And when I say crazy doctrines, it's like, like everything's okay. Kind of like a... Peace, love, kumbaya kind of thing. And, you know, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but it's like, you know, yes, that we serve a God of love, but at the same time, judgment is coming. God's people need to hear about the truth of His Word. God's people need to hear about revelation. God's people need to hear about judgment. Not the coming judgment of the world, that of course, but, you know, the coming or the judgment that is already here. The wrath of God that comes on individuals. You say, whoa, what are you talking about? Read Romans 1. God's wrath comes on individuals. And so when people say, oh yeah, it's okay, pastors, it's okay to go to strip clubs. God will forgive you. It's okay to, you know, this guy who's on drugs, you know, God will forgive you. Yeah, God will forgive. But what does Jesus Christ say? Go and sin no more. Sometimes I wish I could explain the depths of the, prav- the, the depravity from whence I came. The complete and total immoral wickedness that I came from. That the Lord pulled me out of and rescued me from. It's not a stance I have that says... You know, like, yeah, oh, you know, you're forbidden from doing this. And if you do, then you're anathema. It's nothing like that. But I tell you from experience, when you hear me say, you know, don't go, don't do the crack. Don't go to strip clubs. You know, don't do these uh, sexual things. Don't do this and that. I came from an environment that the Lord rescued me from. Praise the Lord. And so, you know, sometimes I talk with guys, men, young young boys even. You know, 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds. Young teenagers who get into these relationships 
and the girls want to do some crazy things. I've even talked with the females where, you know, the, their boyfriends want to do crazy things. And, you know, a lot of times with these young people, they say, you know what? You can't tell my parents. You can't tell my parents. Don't tell my parents. You know, like sometimes, you know, it's like, look, you know, depending on what it is, I might have to tell your parents. And, you know, and not that I'm secretive with parents. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, the kid will say something. And I say, okay, let's let's qualify this here. Nothing's happened, right? You know, nothing's happened. Okay, then this is what you have to do. You have to honor the Lord. Tell this guy no. Tell this girl no. Tell them to go fly a kite. But I love her. I love him. Look, are you a Christian? The Lord doesn't, you know, set up these rules for, you know, to, to hurt us, to harm us. There's these rules in place to prevent us from harm. I've also talked to, you know, teenagers who have, like, sexually transmitted diseases. And they come back and they say, man, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I was like, you know, I'm not going to say, see, I told you so. I'm not going to say that. Because it's kind of already out there. And it's not that I told you so. It's that, you know, let's look at the Word of God. It's kind of cool because somebody who's tasted of that, all of a sudden, they can fall in love with the Lord even more. Why? Because they realize, man, I should have trusted the Lord the first time. I should have trusted the Lord the second time. I should have trusted the Lord the third time. And now because they, you know, they didn't heed the word of God the first time around, and now they're tasting the fruit of the world, the sting of the world, in whatever shape or form, they have a deeper love of the Lord. A deeper trust in the Lord because they've tasted of the sting of the world. I'm not to say that I'm not I'm not trying to say that's the optimum scenario. The optimum scenario is to stay obedient. And for pastors and elders, Bible teachers, ministry leaders, if you're listening to my voice, understand that the Lord's desire is for people to be clean before Him. You included. People to be clean before Him. The priests were the first ones in Leviticus to do the sacrifices so that they could be clean before the Lord. Why? So that they are now able to cleanse God's people. Don't be a hypocrite. And, you know, I say that, but there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. When you're not a hypocrite and you correct another brother or another sister, the flow of holiness, it's, it's the flow of holiness. I can't, I can't explain. It's supernatural. I'll give you an example. Take a hose, for example. You know, it's hot outside. You know, the kids want to play with the sprinklers. And you, you have the spigot on the side of your house. And so you take a hose. And, you know, you connect one end of the hose to the spigot. You connect the other end of the hose to the sprinkler in the grass. You turn on the water. And, you know, because it's a hose, it might be dirty. It might have evidence that it's been in the world, but there's no holes. 
so the water flows nice and clean for kids to enjoy. You go out and wash your car, same concept. You attach the hose to the spigot, and it might be dirty, evidence that it's been in the world. But then at the same time, there's no holes, zero holes. So what does that mean? The flow is nice. You can, you know, water your, wash your car. You want to water your plants. Same exact concept. Everything's connected, no holes, you know, bingo. Everything's, everything's in order, you know, like a little check mark, you know. This, check mark, this, check mark, this, check mark. Okay, water the plants. But what happens when a hose has a bunch of holes in it? You turn on the water in the spigot, and there's no water coming out of the sprinkler. Why? Because the water's flowing all over the place. It does, it's, it's got holes in it. What happens when you want to wash your car? You can't wash your car. Everything's connected, but you can't wash your car. Why? Because the, whole, the hose has holes in it. Or you want to water your plants. You're, you can't not do it. You, it's impossible. Why? Because of all the holes that are in the hose. That's the same concept of new wine in old wineskins. You need to be a new wineskin. When you're a hose, if you're in ministry, and when you're a hose with no holes, I don't care what you look like. You, you could be the ugliest thing. You could be, you know, have like evidence that you've been hardcore in the world. But since you're put in use of another, capital A, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ, you have no hypocrisy, meaning you have no holes, the water flows nice, beautifully. But if you're a pastor and you're providing counsel and you have holes, water can't flow. You know what you're doing? That's, that's more of a therapy session than it is biblical counseling. And then when I say biblical counseling, I don't mean like, you know, biblical counselors, you know, what you see, what you, what you might have experienced. I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about, you know, God's flow of, you know, holy ingredients. When I say holy ingredients, it's, it's everything. The, the oil, the water, the blood, it's everything. God's holy ingredients flow. That's what it means to be a vessel. And, you know, I have to say, if you're a pew Christian, when, I, when I'm speaking this way, I'm speaking hardcore to pastors. Hardcore to pastors. Still hardcore to elders, ministry leaders, Bible teachers, but not as much as pastors. I'm speaking specifically hardcore to pastors. You cannot be a hose with holes in it. You cannot. If you are, you need to go on a hiatus. Take a step down. You know, allow your elder to teach. Allow your co-pastor to teach. And get your heart right with the Lord. So that you are, when your heart is right with the Lord, you're cleansed by the Lord. Then all of a sudden, you are now biblically able. You're like, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will patch those holes. He'll patch those holes. The Lord does not like hypocrisy. If the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy in the Christian, 
What is it going to be like for pastors when we're standing before the Lord? Knowing that we're held to a higher standard, a higher account. What is it going to be like for pastors? And if you're a pew Christian, you know, I don't mean to freak you out. (laughs) Maybe I do. Because I don't know how the Lord's going to call you. You might be like me. Where, you know, you thought, I'm never going to be a pastor. And, you know, here we are. I don't know how the Lord's going to use you. I don't know how the Lord's going to call you. It might be in pastoral ministry. And if that's the case, I rejoice. Remember these words. You know, don't have holes in your hose. or don't, Don't be a hose with holes. Because a lot of holy things need to flow through you. So that you can minister to other people. So that you can guide other people. Remember, that's what the Lord desires. Old Testament and New Testament. People to be clean before Him. Cleansed. You know, of course, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't want to, you know, uh, take anything away from Jesus Christ. But I'm speaking about pastoral ministry. You know, Jesus Christ is the, 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 the offering. He's the sin offering. We are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. But how is a Christian made dirty again? Sometimes it's by their own doing. And sometimes it's by the false doctrines that they listen to. The false doctrines that they're taught. The things where a pastor says, oh yeah, this is okay. Go ahead. Go. You want to do, you know, go to your strip clothes. You want to do the crack? Oh yeah, no problem. I'll see you Sunday. Of course, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I speak of heavy things. And I don't want to sound like I'm speaking loosely about these things. But I want to place very hardcore specificity on, number one, the Lord's desire for people to be clean before Him. And then number two, for pastors. The Lord wants you to be clean so that you can be a vessel used by Him to cleanse others. It's very important to understand these things. We're going to look at that hardcore here in the book of uh, uh, Leviticus chapter 14. And so, you know, it's supernatural. You know, I have to say it's supernatural. It's not like, you know, uh, um, it's not done by intellect. It's not done by uh, um, the ability to teach, you know. The ability to teach only goes so far. You know, I mean, for example, I've heard a godly man, uh, if you put him in an academic level, uh, he's, he doesn't compare with a professor, you know, what, what you can learn academically from a professor. But because this vessel is, I don't know how to say it, it's unlike anything in this world. It's almost like the holiness, it's almost like it's palpable. Like, whoa, you know, this this pastor is unlike any other pastor I've encountered. And me personally, there's only about four men in my life that are like that. Of course, you know, I've listened to all different pastors. They listen to, you know, I've had, you know, face-to-face encounters with some pastors. Locally speaking, I've listened to their, you know, what they have to teach. 
But there's about four that it's like, whoa, these four pastors, and of these four, two are like, if the Lord didn't call me to be a pastor, I would specifically relocate, move to their vicinity so that I could submit myself to their teaching, to their, uh, so I can be under their pastoral leadership. I would do that. Because these two men are like, unlike any other pastor. And it's not to lift them up and say, you know, like, oh, look how awesome he is. It's not like that. But they don't have holes in them. And you know what? If there is a hole, you know who you know who's the patcher? The wife. <laughs> a lot of times the wife is a patcher. Praise the Lord for wives. You know, the Zipporahs out there. Praise the Lord for godly women. If you're a woman listening to this, you know, be the patcher for your husband. You don't know how the Lord's going to, you know, the Lord's going to use you, but you don't know how the Lord's going to use your husband. You don't know. I mean, I don't know. But I can be hopeful. Be a patcher. You know, you don't want your husband to have holes. You know, the Lord wants to use them. First, you want him to be a hose, you know, but then, you know, you don't know how the Lord's going to use them. And so, let's start here in verse 1 in Leviticus 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper. Remember, you know, last week we looked at, you know, you know, uh, you know, the leper, you know, when he, when a person is unclean and when his garment is unclean. But now what? Now what happens? It's like, okay, this person has identified as unclean. So now what happens? That's when we're going to see like, whoa, you know, this is a hardcore message for pastors. It says in verse 2, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing, for the day of his purification is how it translates, the day of his purification. He shall be brought to the priest. So when I say I'm not trying to pull anything away from Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We know that. Uh, you know, we've, I've said that several times already in our study in Leviticus. Jesus Christ is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and that's revealed in Hebrews 5. And there are other priestly attributes that are uh, non, uh, not associated with the high priest, but there are other priestly attributes to Jesus Christ. Priestly functions uh, uh, of the priests that is different from the high priest. And in light of that, that's why I say this is a hardcore message for pastors. Hardcore message for pastors. Understanding the main thing that the Lord wants his sheep clean. And you are the vessel that the Lord uses to cleanse through his word. Through his word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, prayer, interceding for your flock. And when I say your flock, put an asterisk next to that. You know what the asterisk is? It's God's flock, God's people, God's lamb, God's sheep. His lambs, his sheep, they don't belong to you, pastor. They do not belong to you. You're on, you have temporary uh, ownership, if I can say that. I should say temporary stewardship of God's people. That you will give an account for, hardcore, you will give an account for. You're going to stand before the Lord the same way I'm going to stand before the Lord. And 
it's not going to be the judgment in accordance with like the the average Joe, so to speak. It's going to be a higher account in accordance with the word of God. That's what it's going to be like. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. And I say, praise be to the Lord. Which means I don't want to deviate from his word. I don't want to. Why, why would I give a different concoction to God's sheep? Why would I give a different recipe to God's sheep? They don't belong to me. That's why you hear pastors that sometimes they say like, oh yeah, you have to grow your church if you want evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you and through your fellowship. You have to have numbers. You have to have a lot of people. No. Where, where do you see in the Bible, you know, uh, that the numbers is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working, that the Lord has blessed your ministry? Where? You don't see that. In a lot of cases, it's just the opposite, the few. Look at Elijah. Look at Paul. Especially towards the end of Paul's ministry, when he's writing to Luke, hey, no one's with me. Bring the parchments. He said, no one's with me, except Mark. You know, no one's with me. You know, Dr. Luke, get the parchments. You see, you know what I love about that? He wants to write. He wants to write letters. He's dying. He's in, you know, he, He's old. I shouldn't say he's dying. He's about to die. But he's old. Could have been dying. But they chopped off his head. He says, bring the parchments. He wants to write. Exhortations to pastors. Exhortations to churches. Christians. Even when all have left him. That's a pastor. I have to say, you know, this chapter... Well, you know, as far as we get today, it's pastor-centric. It's going to be, and I shouldn't say centric, but a large focal point is going to be on the pastor. And if you're a pew Christian, it's not to exclude you. You know, you're definitely included. But to understand, you know, what, what God desires through His Word. And there are other passages too. God's standard. That he desires people to be clean before him. He desires that. That's what he desires. He wants. So like for us as Christians, we should give that to him. How do we do that? Lord, I don't want the crack. Lord, I don't want the sex. You know, I don't want the the strip clubs. Lord, you know, I don't want the, the, the needle in my arm anymore. I don't do lines anymore, Lord. All the things, it's like, you know, let us lay aside all these things that hinder us and let us move on to perfection. Knowing that the Lord desires cleanliness. And I don't mean cleanliness like, you know, a clean house. Like, you know, everything in order, dusted and everything. I'm talking about a clean temple inside your heart. You, Christian. And if that's just for the Christian, not just for the Christian, but I guess I should say just for the Christian. What about you, pastor? What about you, elder? What about you, ministry leader? What about you, Bible teacher? Because the Lord wants to use you like a hose. 
you're the host, you connect to him, and the other end is connected to the world, to those around you. Lamb, lambs, sheep around you. And if there's holes in you, hypocrisy, carnality, sin, sexual sin, drugs, alcohol, how is the water going to go from the spigot to the lamb? From the spigot to the sheep. From the spigot to the non-believer. Who can be a believer if you tell him and if he's willing. How is that water going to flow if there are holes in you? You know, metaphorically speaking, parabically speaking, you know what's going to happen? That hose is going to get disconnected and thrown in the trash where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm speaking hardcore to pastors. Hardcore to pastors. You say, don't judge me lest you be judged. If you're a pastor and you want to throw that out, don't play that game with me. Take the plank out of your own eye. I don't say that pridefully. If you're listening, you're like, whoa. Who does this guy think he is? I'm not trying to come off that way. But in the last days, teachers will be needed. Because there's a lot of crazy, crazy doctrines out there. And I'm not speaking about like rapture timing. I'm not speaking about, you know, I'm speaking about crazy doctrines that do not align with the word of God. And there's going to be, you know, great trials. And it's a period of refining If you're a pastor in your fellowship, you might have all kinds of different virgins. And if we look at the ratio in accordance with Matthew 25, 50% are dirty. I should say 50% are foolish, I should say. You know, you want fish to become virgins again? You know, I'm speaking supernaturally now. You know, if you're a non-believer and you're listening, you're like, what? What are you talking about? Keep listening, you know. I'll pray that the Holy Spirit interpret. In Matthew 25, the the Lord gives us a parable about ten virgins. Five are foolish, five are wise. But, you know, if your pastor and your fellowship has, you're a fellowship of virgins, number one, I shouldn't say 50% are foolish. If you take the entirety of a church congregation, how many of those people are virgins? Because you might have... uh, non-virgins in your fellowship. And I'm speaking supernaturally. And people who have fellowship with Jesus Christ and fellowship with Buddha, fellowship with crack, fellowship with strip clubs, fellowship with, you know, fill in the blank. So you take 100% of your flock, God's flock, what portion of that are virgins and what portion of that are non-virgins of the virgins no you know it's probably a smaller portion of those 50% of the virgins are wise and you know what pastor you will give an account for that you know you might have non-virgins and foolish virgins because of them and their choices or because of you and what you failed to teach. All because you wanted numbers. 
all because you wanted tithes, all because you wanted a new car, so you wanted all these tithes, all because you wanted a new house, so you could have all these tithes, all because you wanted to wear nice suits, nice clothing, so people could tithe, more people, more tithes, more money, you will give an account. That should terrify you, Pastor. That should terrify you. So look, let's look what happens here. The leper has been identified. Okay, so now what happens? And the Lord says in verse 2, He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp. Remember, when you're unclean, in accordance with the law, when you're unclean, you go out of the camp. Out of the camp. And if somebody's walking near you, you have to say unclean, unclean, because you don't, they can't come near you. Because, you know, just as Paul says, a little leaven leavens the bunch. The same thing applies in, in the tabernacle, in the, in, in the camp of Israel. A little leaven leavens the bunch. And if you're unclean, you're leaven. And so look what happens here. Go out of the camp. You know, the, the, the priest meets with this person who's unclean. I should say formally unclean. And the priest shall examine him, also translates in the Hebrew as discern. The priest shall examine him, and indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds. Remember, nothing mangy. You can't take two nasty birds. It's like, oh, I, I was gonna do you know. Uh, do something else with this bird anyway, so I'm just going to offer him to the Lord. No, two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. As a little side note, you know, we're going to look at certain elements of these, uh, uh, certain aspects of these elements, but in Psalm 51 verse 7, you know, it says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Psalm 51 verse 7. There's certain elements that the Lord says, okay, take these things. And then look what happens in verse 5. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed. You know what that means? Blood. Do you remember when we started Leviticus? I made specific mention. There's a lot of blood. A lot of blood. Which means what? There's a lot of sin. Which also means what? There's a lot of atoning. A lot of atonement. And I think it's beautiful. It's the means by which people are cleansed blood old testament and new testament the blood of jesus christ and the priest shall command in verse 5 <clears throat> that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water so it's over running water it's not a bowl of sitting water it's running water you know what that means in the hebrew alive water living water this is straight up leviticus and there's reference to living water? Yes. Put yourself, remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well? Put yourself in her, her shoes for a moment. And you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Put yourself in her shoes. And you remember, you know, say like two weeks ago, the, uh, you had this encounter with Jesus Christ. And he told you about living water. And you kind of were skeptical a little bit, but the more he spoke, the more you believed, the more your heart yearned for him. And then you're like, 
I believe. You're the Messiah that our fathers told us about. You're him. She goes and tells the whole town. And you fall in love with him, Jesus Christ, and the disciples, they stay in your town for a little bit. And then say like a year passes and you catch wind, you, it's, you, you find out that he was crucified and it tears you apart. And then, you know, you find out that he rose from the dead and you rejoice. And then you catch wind of, you know, what the apostles start to say. And it blows you away. And then, because you were raised in the law, you start to put pieces together. And you start to understand, wow, you know, in the law, I used to do this. But now I do this. And then you remember. I remember when Jesus Christ told me at the well. When it was just me and him. I had to come at a certain time. I remember when it was just me and him. And he told me about living water. And you see, supernaturally, all these things start to come together. The things of the law are a shadow of the things to come. That's why I say put yourself in the woman at the well shoes. To have this understanding. Yeah, you know, it was like skepticism at first. Which blossomed into belief. Which blossoms into, you know, bigger things. The same exact way it does with you. Remember when you first believed? What did you know about the Bible? Nothing. I mean, if you're like me. What did I know about the Bible when I first believed? Absolutely nothing. But I believed. I believed that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. And I fell in love with him. And I started to read and read and read. And I was, I was pretty carnal. I, had, I was warm. I was lukewarm. I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And the Lord chastened me. Hardcore, he chastened me. He made himself known even more so in a very special way to me personally. I, I stopped fighting him. It's so beautiful to understand the entirety of Scripture in light of what we know about the what we're learning in the Old Testament and vice versa. You know, to quote Tigger. <laughs> when you understand the Old Testament and you read the New Testament, it's like, whoa, this is it just blows me away. And then when you understand the New Testament and you read the Old Testament, it's like, whoa, it just blows me away. See how beautiful it is when the Lord blows us away? Because we have deeper understanding. That's why if you hear me mention in our study, I'm going to say it in Deuteronomy 2, a little bit in Numbers, but we start to understand more and more and more about the character and nature of our God. Things He likes, things He doesn't like. And so let's continue reading. <clears throat> Running water in verse 5, that's a biggie. Running water, not a bowl of sitting water, not just, you know, a vat of a, a pool of water. No, running water. Alive is what it is in the Hebrew, running water. And so in verse 6, as for the living bird, remember there was two. One was killed, you know, the blood. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, 
You know, in Psalm 104, verse 16, says, The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon he, uh, 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 he, uh, 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 he has planted, which he, ha he, which he planted. Cedar. So all these, you know, certain times in the Bible, we're going to read like certain elements, and it's like, whoa, this is so cool, because the psalmist wrote about these things. Or Isaiah wrote about these things in sometimes poetic language. And you look at like uh, Hebrew um, the poetical books, you know, the books of wisdom. There's a lot of Hebrew poetry involved or certain ebb and flow of writing. And I love it so much. It's so beautiful because it's, it's almost like the personification of Holy Scripture. I'll put it another way. The Word became flesh. You fall deeper and deeper in love. And so, and scarlet is, you know, crimson, crimson dye. And hyssop, hyssop, which is like bitter leaves. And dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water, over the alive water. In verse 7, and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed. So formerly, formerly unclean. And now it's the priest unto the unclean who's now clean or in the process of becoming clean. He shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Remember, two birds. One is death. And the other is life. I mean, already, we're just in verse 7, but already you're starting to see, I don't want to say allegory, but you're starting to see the, the aligning of life and death. Life and death. And this is going to be even amplified more when we get into Deuteronomy. Because you're going to see life and death. And Moses is going to tell the people, choose. That's kind of Deuteronomy in a nutshell. Life, death, choose. That's Deuteronomy in a nutshell. Life, death, choose. And so in verse 8 now. Now, something I have to say is the priest has a role. In the law, the priest has a role. But even in the church, even as New Covenant believers, pastors... Have a role. It's the process of unclean to clean. What happens in a fellowship of lamb and sheep? People have a way of getting dirty. You see a person on Sunday, clean him, clean her. You see a person on a Wednesday, clean him, clean her. You see a person on a... Uh, uh, a prayer night, you know, clean him, clean her. It's supernatural. It's through the word. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it's entirely supernatural. So, you know, the, 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 the certain things that we're going to read about here where it's very methodical, very methodical. In some regards, you know, say you were a leper and you're now clean in the law. Say you are a leper 
and you're now clean. And when you see everything that has to happen, especially what we read last week and what we're going to read now, you start to, you start to find that it is an easier concept to stay clean. <laughs> it's much easier to stay clean, much better to stay clean, much better for the soul, but much easier too. And that's what I mean when I say it's very methodical. And when I say the priest has a role, it's not to take anything away from the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, the cleansing ability of Jesus Christ. But don't forget, pastors have a role. And when you say, what do you mean that pastors have a role? Read Peter's letters. That's what I mean when I say pastors have a role. You say, I still don't get it. Read Paul's letters. Pastors have a role. Yes, Jesus Christ cleanses. But pastors have a role too. Specifically, pastors. Yes, there are roles and cleansing attributes in, in, in their role of elders, Bible teachers, ministry leaders. But I'm speaking specifically to pastors. What the church is going to experience and go through in the last days, it's unlike anything we've experienced before in the past. Unlike anything. The, the Lord even tells us. You have to be clean, Pastor. You have to be clean. You say, don't judge me. Let me tell you a little secret, Pastor. I've removed the plank from my eye. Let me tell you another secret, Pastor. I've removed the plank from my other eye. And I can see clearly. Now I have to say something to you. If you're listening to me, you're like, who in the world does this guy think he is? I'll tell you who I think I am. The ugliest, the dirtiest, the filthiest piece of trash on the planet Earth. Except the Lord has blessed me with a mouth. I don't think highly of myself. If you want looking, if you have a you know garbage can near you or your trash in your house that maybe has to be taken out, open up the lid or look inside, and you see look at the dirtiest thing. That dirtiest thing is exalted more than me. That's what I think of myself. So if you're you hear me say, hey pastor, I've taken the plank out of my eye, I've taken the plank out of my other eye. Also note of what I think of myself. So let's continue here. Hardcore message for pastors. In verse 8, He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. You know what I love about this? You know, when I say there's a lot of uh, 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 methodical attributes to what needs to be done, both the, the former leper has to do it, and then we're about to see what the priest has to do. But I think of my own personal life. You know when you have like a fresh haircut, and you know you got a fresh haircut, you're fresh out of the shower, you put on fresh clothes, you know what you feel like? You feel like a new man. You feel like a new man. I reckon it's the same for females too. Uh, fresh haircut, fresh shower, fresh clothes, like brand, everything's clean, pressed, iron. And you put it on, you feel like, wow, I feel like a new man. I feel like a new woman. B, 
bingo, bingo, newness, newness. Let's continue. After that, he shall come into the camp and he shall stay outside his tent seven days. So he was outside the camp, the camp of Israel. They were at a distance because of his uncleanness, because of her uncleanness. And so now, you know, the priest went out of the camp. The person says, unclean, unclean. Say, hey, I'm, I'm the priest. I'm going to check on you. Come check, inspect, discern, examine. Sure enough, the leprosy is healed. Praise be to the Lord. Now what needs to happen? You know, there's a sacrifice. You know, a bird. One bird is let out. Is, you know, let go. He flies away. Running water, Remember? Okay, now we gotta, you know, you gotta shave your head now. You gotta wash yourself. This is what you do. And then now you can come back into the camp, except your tent. You cannot go inside. I love that so much. Because remember, a little leaven leavens the bunch in a church setting, but leaven can leaven a home too. You say, what are you talking about? You know, honestly, I could explain further. I can give examples. But I don't think you need examples. When I say a little leaven leavens the bunch in a church, honestly, I don't think you need examples. But when I say a little leaven leavens the bunch in a home, I don't think you need examples either. Because you can walk into a home and see it. You could be like, whoa, this, I don't know what it is, but there's leaven. What is it? You know, dad's an alcoholic, wife's an alcoholic, the kids are, you know, into the occult, you know, and oh yeah, you know, I saw you last Sunday at church. You know, leaven can be in a home as well. Here in the Old Testament, this former leper, former unclean, can now come inside the camp, but he can't go in his house yet, he can't go in his tent. He has to stay outside for 10 days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All the hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. Remember, this is, this is Old Testament. New Testament, Jesus does it all. He washes us. He gives us, you know, we take off our old garment and we put on a new garment that he gives. Clean. Oh, I feel like a new man. Bingo. I feel like a new woman. Bingo. Go and sin no more. Now you see an understanding of these. When the Lord healed somebody in the Gospels, you read his account of when he healed somebody. And then time passes and he meets that person again and says, hey, go and sin no more. Same concept here in the Old Testament. You know, fresh haircut. Like, wow, you know, you feel good again. Not that, you know, me personally, I like my hair short. I, I feel like a hippie when my hair's too long. So I, I like it short. So like when it gets long, I just feel ugh, like weird, you know. I don't know how to describe it. Yuck, you know, that's how I describe it. That's my uh, uh, Yiddish. <laughs> Yuck, that's how I feel. It just feels gross to me. I don't like it. And so, you know, you get a fresh haircut, you know, fresh shower, fresh clothes, and you feel like crisp. 
I love that feeling, you know? And it's the same applies for the females too, you know? I don't know how you feel with long hair, but, you know, well, I meant, you know, probably good, but I meant, you know, what about when it gets too long? I don't know, but, you know, however you feel. But when you have everything's nice and clean, it's like, wow, you feel the same applies spiritually in a much deeper sense when we're cleansed by Jesus Christ. Why would somebody be cleansed of Jesus Christ and go back to crack, go back to sex, go back to meth, go back to the old lifestyle? You know who does that? Pigs, dogs. And the Lord says, don't be that way. Don't be that way. Go and sin no more. And you say, you know, I say pigs and dogs for a reason. You know, Peter writes about that. You know, if you're listening and you're like a non-believer or a new believer and you're like, whoa, he's calling, he, he, he says pigs and dogs. Like, you know, there's scriptural reference. It, it, be clean. Be holy. For I am holy. Thus saith the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament. Brother Peter writes about these things. You know, hypocrisy. The Lord doesn't like Hypocrisy. Have you ever talked to somebody who says, oh, I'm never going to church again. I hate the hypocrites. The pastor's a hypocrite. I hate that so much. You know what? So does the Lord. And you know what? If that's you, if you're listening to my voice and you're like, I hate churches. I hate the pastors. They're such hypocrites. The Lord thinks exactly the same. And you're making a mistake. Because of these hypocrites, you're blaming Jesus. Don't do that. I can't apologize on their behalf. I mean, if I could, I would. But if that's you, if you're estranged from Jesus Christ because of a hypocrite, it's on them. The Lord never stopped loving you. Never. But this hypocrite ruined that relationship because of his hypocrisy. The Lord loves you. You need to come back to Jesus Christ. It's pleasing unto the Lord. You need to be cleansed by Jesus Christ. So many times people say, oh, I don't like the hypocrites. I'm out of here. And when they're out of here, man, they really go out. And they get filthy by the world. They get dirty by the world. They get infected by the world. You know what? Look at verse 3. And the priest shall go out of the camp. That's what I'm doing to you right now. If that's you, that's what I'm doing to you right now. And I'm telling you, the Lord loves you. God loves you. You've been exposed to the world. You've been muddied up by the world. I get it. I understand it. But don't blame Jesus Christ for the hypocrisy of, you know, XYZ, whoever it is. Come back to Jesus Christ. Come back in this camp. It's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. And so let's look what happens here. In verse 10. And on the eighth day, very interesting, because remember, in accordance with the law, what do we have on the eighth day? Circumcision. What do you have, Thomas? Remember my when we studied the circumcision a couple weeks ago? In accordance to the law. You saw my correlation with doubting Thomas on the eighth day. What does it signify? 
belief. It's not the literal circumcision, you know? It's deeper, much deeper circumcision of heart, belief. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish. Remember, nothing mangy, nothing mangy at all. Two male lambs without blemish. One ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Now, a log here is a unit of measurement. It's not like a log, but it's like a unit of measurement. <clears throat> then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is, a, who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord. It's very important to remember that it's unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. He says, those things before the Lord at the door. What does, the, what does Jesus Christ tell us? I am the door. You see, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. A lot of priests in the Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of priests think they're the big shots. In the Old Testament and New Testament. Is the high priest in the New Testament? All the high priests that we read about in the New Testament? All the priests, they thought they were big shot. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they thought they were the big shots. You know, as New Covenant believers, a lot of pastors think they're big shots too. But if you're a pastor listening to my message, you're not a big shot, number one. Number two... All these things, that, uh, just like it's written here in verse 11. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord. Before the Lord. It's unto God. Where? At the door. Who is the door? Jesus Christ. That's what you do when you preach the word. When you teach the word. You're cleansing sheep. You're cleansing lamb as gently as 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 gently as gentle can possibly be. Cleaning, cleansing, picking up a little lamb, placing the lamb on your lap, and cleansing. I'm speaking supernaturally. Sheep cleansing. And you know the lamb, like a new believer, a young sheep. Is going to be, you know, a lamb is going to be a sheep one day. And a sheep can turn into a shepherd. A sheep can turn into whatever ministry that the Lord has for a person. We see that with little Timmy. Timothy. From sheep, from lamb to sheep to shepherd. That's, that's the house of God. That's. That's the holy business that happens in the house of God. I don't have words to describe how holy this is. I have zero words to describe how holy it is. In the old, and, and we're going to see, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break your heart. If you're like me, it, it will tear your heart apart. It'll rip your heart into shreds. When we get into passages in the Kings, in the Chronicles... Where you're going to think in one aspect, you're going to be like, whoa, Lord, this is, this is hardcore what you're doing. But number one, we're going to understand why he's doing it. That it's 
reaction. It's reactory. It's not like, you know, it's not just like, boom, he's doing it. He's doing it for a reason. And more likely, nine times out of ten, it's because of the priest or the king. Nine times out of ten, people suffer because of the priest or the king. And we're going to understand why. When we understand, you know, Leviticus, we're going to understand why. When we read Deuteronomy, you know, Moses, he's hardcore. When he, you know, writes what he writes in Deuteronomy, he's hardcore. He's basically said, you know, uh, this is good, this is bad. Choose. That's, that's Deuteronomy in a nutshell. Here's blessing, here's cursing, choose. And so, um, look what happens here in verse 12. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. This is something we covered in chapter 7, the wave offering. If you're listening and you're like, what's the wave offering? Listen to our study in chapter 7, Leviticus 7. Verse 13, then he shall kill the lamb. You see, straight up, he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. This is very important. It is most holy. Do you remember in Matthew 8, he told the, the, the leper that was healed, he says, you know, go and do the, 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 uh, perform the, uh, the cleansing in accordance with Moses. And do it for it's it's as a testimony. Turn with me to Matthew eight really quick. Matthew eight. And in Matthew eight, the Lord says this. In verse two, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, if you are willing, can you make me, or you can make me clean?" Not even a question, Lord, if you are willing. You can make me clean. Notice his faith. I mean, if it's a question, maybe the faith can be put in question as well. Lord, can you make me clean? Of course he can. But he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put on, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them, as a witness to them. So now let's go back to Leviticus. Remember verse 13? Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. Now put yourself in the Pharisee's shoes. Say you doubted Jesus. As he was speaking, you doubted him. And then a leper came to you and says, Jesus healed me. And he told me to perform. You know, I have to, here's my offering. And you're like, okay, you're not a leper anymore. Interesting that Jesus Christ told you about that. But, you know, I should say Jesus told you about that. Because, you know, as a Pharisee, I would acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah. You know, and so I'm just, you know, speaking metaphorically or, you know, uh, uh, metaphysically, I should say. Uh, so the leper comes to you and you see, okay, here's your offering. Okay, we're going to do these in accordance with the law. And, you know, as a Pharisee, I have this understanding. 
he shall kill the lamb. In verse 13, he shall kill the lamb. At the end of verse 13, it is most holy. Remember the crucifix when Jesus Christ was crucified? He's crucified. And then, boom, the Holy Spirit just falls upon you. Convicts you, hardcore conviction. You're a Pharisee. And then all of a sudden you reflect back and you remember, wow, I remember when the leper came to me. And he told me, Jesus Christ told him to say this. Jesus told him to say this. And now Jesus Christ is, or Jesus is crucified. And in accordance with Moses, in accordance with the Torah, the Pentateuch, in accordance with, you know, uh, 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 Moses, it is most holy. Hardcore conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then boom, I believe. I believe. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You see how he teaches us? He was like sowing seeds for the Pharisees, for, for their future belief. And remember, there were future Pharisees that became Christians. Or, you know, there were Pharisees that became Christians, became believers. They still had this hardcore adherence to the law because they were the ones from Jerusalem who took it upon themselves to go out and start teaching people to be circumcised in accordance with the flesh. And Paul and Barnabas, you know, they had something to say about it. Luke had something to say about it. James had something to say about it. And then it was settled, okay, you, you, you don't have to be circumcised. You know, all you got to do is abstain from this, sexual immorality, and you're fine, you're good to go. You see how beautiful the Lord teaches us? And so look at verse 14 now. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Now, since these Levitical teachings are a shadow of the things to come, let's examine something really quick. What do we have here? The tip of the right ear the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Very interesting. What do we have here? As a shadow of things to come, what do we have? Feet to walk, hands to do, ears to hear. Feet to walk, hands to do or work, and ears to hear. Remember, this is all on the eighth day. Circumcision of heart. A shadow of things to come. All preparatory for future belief in Jesus Christ. All of it. A shadow of things to come. Verse 15. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil. Remember log of oil, unit of measurement. And pour it into the palm of his own left hand. You know, it's verse 14. Some of the blood. And verse 15. Some of the oil. And who do, you, who do you have here? You have the priest and the one to be cleansed. Very special intimacy happening here. I'm going to say something. It might rub some of you the wrong way, but I'm going to say it anyway. Pastors clean God's lambs, God's sheep. That's what we do. 
It's what we're called to do. Not just clean, to feed and to protect. That's the pastor. It's very special. It's very holy. But I have to say something too. In the New Testament, in the Greek, there are certain words that indicate a very, very special intimacy. Very, very special intimacy. And when I say intimacy, don't think carnally. Do not think carnally. Think hardcore spiritually. There's a very special intimacy. And in the Greek, it's referred to as intimacy. Intercourse. Like, you know, I don't, don't think carnally. It's, it's social intercourse. But it's intimacy, intercourse, soul knitting, gluing and cleaving unto. That's the pastor unto the lambs. That's the pastor unto the sheep. And you know, we see that in our study in the book of uh, Acts chapter 20. You see what I'm talking about. Very, very special intimacy what happened in that upper room. That very, very small group of people. It's not the entire church. It's not the entirety of the Ephesian church. Or the the church where, you know, Paul didn't say it wasn't a message for the, the entire church. It's very special intimacy happening in the upper room. Very, very special intimacy. And that's the example of what I'm talking about. This intimacy, this intercourse, this soul knitting, this gluing, this cleaving to. It's ministry leaders. Ministry leaders. You see that in Acts 20. I mean, who would listen to a sermon until midnight? What we study in Acts 20. on Just on Sunday, last Sunday. Who would listen to a sermon until midnight? And then understanding what we studied, who would keep listening from midnight until morning? Who? That's what I mean when I say it's a very special group of people, ministry leaders, and very special intimacy of soul knitting. Very special intimacy of soul knitting, gluing and cleaving and Intimacy and intercourse, supernaturally speaking. It's very special. That's a pastor with the ministry team, the ministry leaders. A pastor unto elders, a pastor unto Bible teachers, a pastor unto uh, uh, worship team, the worship leaders. A pastor unto the bishop, a pastor unto the deacon. Very special. That's what I mean when I talk about this intimacy. And which trickles down to the people. The lambs, the sheep. And what do you have? Aggregately speaking, koinonia, sunago. These are the things that, the makeup of a church. Not just the bodies. The bodies is, we're going to put off these bodies one day. It's much deeper than just the bodies. Much, much deeper. It's holiness. Holiness. And so look what happens here in verse 16. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil 
that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Remember verse 11. All these things presented, it's all before the Lord at the door. Who is the door? Jesus Christ. They're at the door. In the tabernacle. This is like straight up, you know, what the Lord gives instruction for the leper becoming clean again. The unclean becoming clean. Where are they? At the door. Pastor, you give them Jesus. Present them to Jesus. In verse 17. Verse 17, look at the end of verse 17. I know this is kind of weird, but you know, look at the end of verse 17. On the blood of the trespass offering. The end of verse 17. On the blood of the trespass offering. Now this blood, what we read in verse 14, it's on the ear, it's on the hand, and it's on the foot. Now look at verse 17. And the priest, and the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some of the tip of the right, some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the blood of the trespass offering. So now what is on the ear? What is on the hand? What is on the foot? You know what it is? Blood and oil. Blood and oil. An Old Testament example of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You see how beautiful this is? Verse 18. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. So the priest shall make a covering for him before the Lord. Now, a little special message I have for pastors, Bible teachers, elders. Never ever forget that God's desire is for his people to be clean before him. Clean. And remember verse 11, they're straight up at the door. All things are presented before the Lord at the door. Who is the door? Jesus Christ. They're to be presented to Jesus Christ. Here, Lord. You clean them by his word. You clean them in teaching his word. And you know how a person receives the word? That's between them. That's between them and the Lord. You can't, you can't dictate how a person listens. You can't dictate how a person learns. You have to be obedient and teach. It's between the listener and the Lord. You just can't be quiet. You have to teach. If the Lord called you to teach, teach. Remember, all this stuff happens on the eighth day. In verse 19, Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement a covering for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. Now, this is something we covered in chapter 1 about the burnt offering. If you're listening, you're like, I don't get it. Go back to Leviticus 1. Read that and understand. Now, we're about to see future chapters, not, not so distant future. The converging of multiple elements to make up feasts and festivals. And we're going to understand like, okay... You know, because of this understanding in Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, and, you know, the offering, the grain offering, uh, the wave offering, because we have this base plate, so to speak, or this base understanding, when things start being put together about like the feasts and the festivals, we're going to know what they signify. And the Lord is going to teach us deeper things about what is happening. Not that we're to go back and perform those things, 
but that we can fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of those things. That we're just getting started. This is just, uh, you know, Leviticus 101, so to speak. We're just getting started. Look at verse 20. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement or a covering for him, and he shall be clean. You know, I have to say something uh, for pastors. If you're a pastor, listening to me. And, you know, if you're a pew Christian, you don't know the Lord might call you into pastoral ministry. So pay attention. The work of Jesus Christ is everything. Everything. But pastors still have a job to do. And, you know, with this aspect of cleansing, this aspect of intimacy, you see that with Paul in Acts 20 in our study. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to you know, our Sunday message in Acts 20. The, the, the entirety. The first part is you know, important, but listen to the entirety of Acts 20. Because when you hear me talk about this intimacy, you see that personified in the apostle, in, in Paul, but then in those with him. Timothy, Aristarchus, even Eutychus, even though he had a little, a little fall, but the Lord healed him. You see this very, very special intimacy. And, you know, when I say pastors still have a job to do, much of it, if not the majority of it, no one will ever know. No one will ever know except the Lord. But nobody will ever know except the Lord. You know why? Because you yourself have very special intimacy with Jesus Christ. Very, very special intimacy with Jesus Christ. Part of the cleansing upon God's flock, part of that cleansing is in prayer, if not the majority of it. It's going to be on your knees. It will be on your knees. If you're a pastor, please, I beg of you, I urge you, I implore you, take this to heart. Take this to heart. The majority, the bulk of it will be on your knees in intercession and, you know, making pleas before the Lord on behalf of the flock that the Lord has allowed you to teach, to shepherd, to feed, to cleanse, and to protect. That's the pastor. Now, if you're a pastor listening to my message, listening to these words, my words, and you're fleecing the flock, you need to repent. You need to step down. You need to repent. If you're a pastor listening to my words and you're having, you know, sexual relations with the flock, you need to repent and you need to step down. Fleecing the flock, sexual relations with the flock, they're not your flock. They do not belong to you. And you will stand before the Lord one day the same way I will stand before the Lord. And you and me, we will give an account. And it's held we're held to a higher standard, much stricter standard, much more strict. And if you're a pew Christian, you're listening, you're like, whoa, that's hardcore. Yes, it is hardcore. Be hardcore. Live lives that are hardcore for Jesus Christ. Not lukewarm, not cold, but burning hot for Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he desires that. 
and let your life. Remember how that challenge I proposed a couple chapters ago? I think it was in chapter one. To start thinking of your life as an aroma before the Lord. What aroma do you want to present before the Lord? Something stinky or something pleasing? I mean, if you're stinky, repent. You know, repent. It's trespassing. The little sidestep, we talked about that. Repent and be clean. That's if you're stinky. But if your aroma is sweet, rejoice. And I rejoice with you. And the Lord sees, the Lord knows. And He'll tap on your heart one day and say, You know what? I have a task for you, I have a special duty for you. I'm calling you into, you know, whatever. It might be pastoral ministry. It might be ministry as elder. It might be ministry as, you know, helps ministry. It might be whatever. That's the Lord's business. That's between you and the Lord. It's very, very important to understand these things. These, these are things that we're gaining from Leviticus, from the law. There are people who say, yeah, I don't want to teach uh, the Old Testament because that's the Old Testament. I'm a new covenant believer. Praise the Lord, you're a new covenant believer. Look at what we're, this deeper understanding of what we're gleaning from the from Leviticus as a shadow of the things to come, which are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say you start to understand the character, the nature of our Lord. The things that are pleasing unto Him. Remember, the whole purpose, you know, you read these things in the law. The whole purpose is for God's people to be clean. And you know what that requires? Blood. Blood. And so we understand these things. And with this understanding, we press forward. We move on to perfection in Jesus Christ. Allowing Him to do the work in your life, in my life, as a church body, as the ecclesia, as the sunago, in our lives. For what? His glory. All for His glory. 100%. We're going to end our study here, and we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, and we'll just continue where we left off. God bless you. Love you guys.